thank you so much for coming on Costly Conversations. Thank you, everybody, for uh, for watching. Um, we're just super excited to have Tangi from uh, Tactical Tangerine uh, in the building. If you just go ahead and introduce yourself real quick, and we'll, we'll get started. Absolutely. Hello, everybody. Thank you, first of all, for having me on your show. My name is Tanjanika. My friends and clients call me Tangi, and I'm the CEO of Tactical Tangerine, and I teach you tips, tricks, and tools on how to stay trained and tactical in these streets. That's who I am. All right, all right. Yeah, that's so important. Um, well, which I'm so excited to have you on because I've actually, um, it's crazy. I've, I've been seeing some of your stuff on Instagram. And also you started a YouTube channel, um, just giving tips and tricks to, to folks, um, talking about all sorts of stuff, um, firearms related, uh, self-defense related. And, you know, it's, for me, it's, it's, so, it's, it's so exciting to see um, Black women specifically uh, leading the charge in regards to two uh, way in the black community, but also two way because they were a huge part of uh, the firearm purchasing demographic last year. Um, so women in firearms, especially black women, cannot be ignored. They're here to stay. But can you just go ahead and tell everybody how did you get started? Like you're doing firearms, you're teaching. How does how does a a female a black woman uh, get started in firearms training? That's not stereotypical. This is true. So my background is I am a Marine Corps veteran. So my introduction to firearms was through the military. And before then, I was a cheerleader. So I had I wasn't raised around firearms. I wasn't raised, you know, to, to touch weapons or even be comfortable around them. So it was a very big shift from going from cheerleader to Iraq. I did two tours in Iraq. So that was my introduction to firearms. And so after I got out the military, I kind of left it alone for a little while. I never, you know, I had my concealed carry for years, I think five years, and I never owned a firearm. And um, that was interesting. So I ended up last year when a lot of the protests were going on, a lot of the things that were going on in the United States, especially race related, I started to pick up firearms training. And a lot of my friends saw what I was doing and they were like, oh, well, will you teach me? I want to go with you to the range. I want to, you know, um, I want to be around you when you do things like that. So I was like, I need to get properly trained on how to teach them. So that was really my introduction of being a certified firearms instructor. I went and got the certification for that. Then I went and got the certification to be a Glock armorer because my first firearm was a Glock. So I fell in love with those and, you know, found out how to break them down, how to put them back together. Just really fell in love with them. And then I started training. And so it's just been a progression. It hasn't even been a year yet since I've been a firearms instructor. Instructor, but I took the skills that I had from other industries that I've been in, whether it's military or whatever, and I'm just incorporating them into my firearms business. And it's going very well so far. So just diving in. And I was part of that group of black women gun owners who came in and took over or a really big part of the industry. I was part of that group. And now I teach others how to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're you're quite a creator, uh, a very creative type. I, I'm actually kind of impressed because you came in hot talking about uh, um, how to how to how to carry comfortably while while being cute and uh, ha- having it concealed. And I think that's a that's a huge part of um, carrying every day. Is okay? Do I feel do I feel good by looking good? Am I comfortable? Because firearms can be uncomfortable. Like you know, spoiler alert: it's not always comfortable to carry a gun, and you don't always look the best. Unless you're Tangi, she knows what she's doing. <laughs> I mean, what else are you doing? I know you have like a, this uh, this radio program that you're doing. What is that? 
I do. I have a podcast called Chocolate Tangerine on Power 108.9. And they have been so supportive in everything that I've been trying to do as far as education. My background really is legislation education. And I help people understand laws and how to lobby properly on their local, state and federal levels. I've lobbied in Congress in D.C. several times. So I do things like that anyway, just educating people. So with Chocolate Tangerine, it's... uh all about exposing you to, it's not just me. I'm not the only black woman in the industry doing it. There's other black business owners who are in the firearms industry. So I I try to highlight them. I also try to highlight new laws that might be coming out that affect black people specifically, but more so just educating you about your two-way rights. So chocolate tangerine is part of that. And even cute, comfy, concealed, it's all education. And when I got into the firearms industry, I didn't know how to conceal. I didn't know how I was going to wear my firearm and I wear tight clothing. So I print sometimes and printing means, you know, my firearm shows is not as concealed as some people would like. So it takes trial and error and trying to figure out how to do that and what's the best strategy. And I wasn't about to buy a whole new set of wardrobe just because I'm concealing now. So I had to figure out how to do it. And I figured that was a great education to show other women how to do that as well. So they're, they're just coming on the journey with me. That's literally what's happening. <laughs> hey, you know what? We're all kind of still on a journey. Even folks who have been doing this for years, there's always new training and new information that comes out new guns and new ammo, new new ways to do things. Um, so shout out to you for, for going on that journey and taking folks with you. Now, for those people who, uh, you know, they're, they're still here with us because, you know, some folks, they get, they get on, then they hop off. Let's go ahead and, just, for those who made it this far, let's go ahead and jump into the spicy stuff. I know you were talking about, um, you know, you're doing the program. Sometimes it prints, sometimes it doesn't. I know you've taken a little bit of uh, criticism for, for every once in a while having an outfit that prints. Let, let's get into it because, you know, for those, not who, even a for little those who criti- made it this far. <laughs> yeah, not even a little criticism. Like, people are comfortable in my DMs expressing oh, themselves about how they feel about how I wear my firearm. And it blows my oh, mind. Oh, my god! And it blows my mind because I'm never worried about other people. Like, I never, however you choose to do, whatever you choose to do is on you. And, you know, I feel like if you're grown and you want to do it, that's fine. But it's the level of comfort that people have writing paragraphs in my DMs. <laughs> No. <laughs> about sis I don't think you should wear it like that I think you should wait I think you should do this I think you should do that and so you know everyone has an opinion and it, it comes with the territory is I will read it and I will leave you on read I will show you that I saw it and I will not respond that's the type of person I am because I didn't ask you for your opinion oh. I'm in a concealed carry or open carry state and printing to me is the best of both worlds it's literally in between and some days I can't hide it as well as I want to, but I want it on me. That's yeah. what's most important to me. I don't care who sees it or how they see it. I'm legally, lawfully allowed to carry my firearm. I have the permit saying that I can. And even if I didn't, I have the lawful right as a human to protect myself. So however I choose to do that is um, on me. And I always advocate for making sure that it's legal and making sure you're following all of your state laws and your rules, et cetera. But mm. I truly feel like as long as it's on me, I feel the safest. And so I do what I have to do in order to make sure that happens. Well, shout out to you, Tangie, for knowing the law and trying to make sure the law don't know you. That's, exactly. that's important. Uh, and also carrying as often as you physically can. Um, and also for, for, um, for standing up and saying, you know what? 
whatever. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to carry my firearm. If you don't like it, I mean, are we married? Right. <laughs> are, are we together for you to tell me wh- what you don't like about my outfit and how you don't? Oh, wow. People they're are so comfortable athletes. People like you bold. should see how, they're so bold and comfortable. Like. Golly, jeez. <laughs> I can't I can't even like I'm I'm hyped up just hearing about this, but I'm like, you know what? If you cool, I'm cool. I'm whatever. <laughs> whatever. All right. Well, that that's cool. I appreciate you for just going ahead and explaining that to the folks. Um but you did talk a little bit about legislation. I know you, you said you you know how to lobby. I guess that's somewhere in your background where you, you've done this in the past. Um, let's talk about legislation because Uncle Joe has been uh, for those who for those who call him that uh, <laughs> has been uh, talking about talking about guns, talking about shotguns, and all you need is a, a twelve gauge. You know, that's all you, know, you some, need. That's if something it. happens, you go outside, put two blasts in the air, and everybody, you know, you'll be safe. What is he talking about? And what something what, illegal? Something <laughs> illegal? He has absolutely no idea about. <laughs> I mean that. I've been around guns long enough to know that that's first of all a bad idea. Anything that goes up will come down. Second of all, and I'm pretty sure every state in the union that's illegal. But you know, follow your your, your local laws to see what you can and can't do. But it's a bad idea. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's. It's very interesting. Legislation, once I really started getting into it and learning about it, it's such a game and it's so corrupt. And you really just have to follow the money to see which interest, who's involved in what and how far it's going to go based on how much money is involved. So there is push and pull on both sides, Republicans, Democrats, no matter what you believe in or follow or abide by, there is some type of strategic plan you know, that you don't know about. There is there is something that's probably not going to go in your favor. And I feel like we're all pawns in this game. And so legislation is very tricky. It's written in a way that is dense and it's not sexy. People don't like to read it. People don't understand it. They use words that are hard to to comprehend for some people if they don't know how to read it correctly. It's very vague sometimes. So it just depends on who wrote it and why they wrote it, what their interests are. But there are gun lobbyists that believe that no one should have a firearm and that, you know, that is the reason that all of these mass murders are happening there are some people that think that everyone should have a firearm, no matter who you are. And so on both sides, we're in, we're stuck, meaning we, meaning the people are stuck in the middle of it and we're oblivious. And what normally happens with legislation, it is, it's written and then key points in the legislation are taken out and that's what's advertised to the people and the people think okay this is good based on these key points not reading the fine print not Mm -hmm. understanding what's going to happen once this legislation has been implemented not understanding what's going to happen once it's legalized and so my job is to help the average lay person whether that's a firearm person, a person who's just buying their first firearm all the way up to an investor because money is involved with all of this. And so people want to know how they should invest in the firearm industry. So I read legislation to help them understand that as well. And so with the new administration coming in and they having the 
House, the Senate, and the presidency, they have an agenda and they want to prove a point that guns are bad and that guns should be eliminated and that our two-way rights aren't concrete, (laughs) that our two-way rights are negotiable. That's what it feels like in their eyes. And I've never been... um, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I I don't believe in either side. I believe it's two heads on the same snake. I truly, truly believe that. And so Mm -hmm. what that means to me is that the Republicans are fighting and saying that everyone should have two-way rights. And I'm like, okay, I can see how, you know, they're fighting for that. And Democrats on the other spectrum, I can see how they want to save lives, allegedly. They want to, I mean, I feel like all legislation comes from a good point. It starts off that way and then it gets corrupt after a while. That's what I found. It's a lot of money involved for, for a lot of reasons, whether you want to, even gun advocates who want to outlaw it, there's money involved in them doing that. You know, it's money involved in them making things illegal. They're getting paid to write legislation. They're getting paid by these big organizations. And then there's other groups that are for guns and they are, you know, they either are shareholders in Smith and Wesson or Glock or whatever. So they want, you know, they have an incentive as well. So everyone has an agenda. You just have to figure out what side of the coin you're on and who speaks to you the best and the most. Yeah, I think I think it is interesting because whether you are in, like deep into politics as as you have seen the folks and you have interacted with that with that crowd, um, you know, as as lobbying for Congress, or if you are kind of just a regular Joe with the things that you would like to do or like to not do, um, everybody has a stake in in politics. So you know, elections do matter. Um, people lobby in the Congress. That does have impacts. Uh, writing laws is actually important because at the end of the day, who do the laws affect? Regular people. Some people would argue that, you know, if you have a certain amount of money, laws don't necessarily apply to you. Um, I guess it depends on what you're doing. That said, um, definitely appreciative that you're you're out there actually making a difference in that way because there's not a lot of us, I, I think, even in the gun industry, the influencer industry, the the YouTube, the Instagram space that even understands half of what you do. Uh, so definitely appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I guess going back to something you said that, you know, there's people on both sides of it and they want to try to help by limiting guns are like real talk. Is there any gun law that actually makes sense for, I guess, the betterment of society? Because there, there's people who are like, all gun laws are infringement. And I, I tend to say that on a regular basis just because I am who I am. But like, if we're going to like sit down and think critically and honestly and not just say, well, you know, I believe in guns, so you know, I'm just going to say something. But like, is there anything that could actually benefit people in regards to legislation that controls firearms and regulates them, even even in the slightest degree? That's a really brilliant question. I've never been asked that before. I've been asked, how do I feel about gun laws? And I don't, I don't think that there's a specific one that I say, like, I agree with that. I don't think there is, but I will say, okay, so I believe in constitutional carry, Mm -hmm. meaning I believe that everyone should have the right to carry a firearm because if you say that we're going by the Constitution and that's our Second Amendment, then sure. But not even above all that, I believe that we have an inherent right as humans to protect ourselves. And if I believe that, 
then if this firearm will even the odds of someone 300 pounds, six, two coming at me and I can take them down and I can defend myself, then I'm for that. Right. What I'm not for necessarily is this knee jerk reaction happening where you see all these states saying, okay, well, because the Democrats have the House, the Senate and the presidency, we're going to just legalize everything. Everything's open and everyone has the right to carry, but they're not giving them any type of instruction or training. I don't believe in that. I think that this really is a powerful tool. And I think that my respect for it makes me appreciate it even more being around it, knowing the universal firearm safety rules, knowing that the most important one is keeping your finger off the trigger. And even that basic concept, you see people in rap videos, you see people on YouTube, just negligent discharge after negligent discharge. And it's because they just don't know the basics. Like it's just simple. Don't touch Mm -hmm. the trigger. (laughs) This tool won't do absolutely anything that you don't want it to unless, you know, and it works properly. When you Mm -hmm. pull the trigger, it's supposed to fire. That's what's supposed to happen. So if you don't want that to happen, then having the right safety measures in place are imperative. And I don't think the states are showcasing that. I think they're trying to prove a point and I think they're mm-hmm. fighting and we're stuck in the middle again. And it's to, yeah. the, it's, it's to our detriment. It's saying, okay, now everyone in this state can carry. Okay, cool. Now some states are saying if you're 18 and up, you can carry. Some people don't have the, like they don't have the mental capacity at 18, you know, I was a hothead at 18. I even going into the military, that type of discipline was great for me because I had a temper, you know? And so learning to be able to control that is imperative in situations because it could cost you like one small infraction or, you know, road rage can get you life in prison or get you killed. And Mm. so that's what I'm not necessarily for. But when it comes to any type of gun restriction, I feel like one, you you know how you say you give you give them an inch, they take a mile. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like it's that type of situation where you say, okay, well let's do ten round capacity limits only in your magazine. Okay, well then what do you need ten rounds for? You know, you start off with ten, then it's like we're gonna take it down to one, and then maybe you shouldn't carry in the chamber, and then maybe you shouldn't have a rifle, maybe you shouldn't have a pistol. I feel like it'll just keep inching away like that if we allow them to get anything honestly i think it needs Mm -hmm. to be just sensible like teach people how to it should be in school like finances you know it's just simple things like we should be teaching finances and firearms in school and we're not and that's where our society i think is failing you know what that's that's powerful and i I wanted to to fight back and rebuttal you know play a little bit of devil's advocate but you had me convinced i think i'll do it anyways okay (laughs) i think i'll do it anyways but it's um that was powerful man you you just kind of just broke it down so simply (laughs) Uh, i i i I don't have anything those are my Um, thoughts i truly believe it and it's just like i think it can all be so simple and i also think that like when i um one of the things that i saw that I wasn't aware of was the the Vegas massacre mm. happened on my birthday. Wow. And when I found out about that, I mean, I was oblivious. I was partying. I was in Vegas, so I didn't know. But when I found out about that and I found, you know, how much damage was created in such a short amount of time, I could see how people want to make changes and how they want to say, okay, you know, no one should be allowed to have this. But I just don't see how they think that's the answer because when you look at it, people are going to just do what people are going to do. 
the last couple of mass shootings, whether it be Atlanta, Colorado, wherever, they had legal background checks. They had legal firearms that they purchased. So that's not going to stop that from happening. What could have stopped that from happening, in my opinion, is someone legally armed taking them down in the middle of that, you know, in the moment. I, yeah. Who has proper training, who knows, you know, sight alignment, sight picture, who knows trigger awareness, who knows how to get on the target, lay it down, and then, you know, save the day. Literally save the day. I think that's yeah. the best situation. So yeah. I think all of these knee-jerk reactions are not going to work. And it's only going to disarm law-abiding citizens who could help in a situation. Yeah. Um, one thing that I, I did see, uh, when especially because Texas specifically, that's that's where I'm located, is has been going through constitutional carry and it passed here and it passed there. And I, I've not checked to see if it's gone all the way through just yet, but it looks like they're still kind of dealing with it. That said, um, it's it's really interesting to see a lot of my firearms trainers that I interact with, and I, I think I interact almost exclusively with firearms trainers these days, just because of the nature of what we're doing here. Of um, course. A lot of them have been really, like almost physically upset. Um like, man, what are they doing? Why would they uh, implement constitutional carry? You know, people need training. People need this. People need that. And I, I've actually, I've lived in Virginia where you could open carry without a permit. Anyone could do it. If you were eligible to to own one of these, uh, a firearm, you could put it on your hip and rock and roll. It didn't matter. Um, as long as you were an eligible um, honest citizen. That said, concealed carry, you did need to go through the class and get the permit. And that's what I opted to do. And I, I didn't ever want to open carry. So I waited until I got my concealed carry permit to do so. That's just my personal preference. I, I just didn't feel comfortable doing it. Um, that said, when I moved to Texas, um, I waited until I got my concealed carry permit. But if I, in between now and then, or between then, that point, and when I actually got my concealed carry permit, I could actually carry in my car because my car was considered my considered my domicile. Um, probably somebody working legislation was like, well, a lot of people live in their car, so why shouldn't they be able to have their firearm with them? It's their property. They have to be able to defend their property. You know, I'm like, yeah, that's that's a good idea. But in Texas, I brought that up to say in Texas, we've been able to have guns in our cars for a long time. And now you can get out of your car with your firearm and go to your cousin's house. And no one's going to stop you on the on the corner like a police officer can't just stop you on the corner and slap you with a stupid weapons charge for keeping your gun on you. You know what I mean? I do. So to me, I'm saying like, dang, we, I don't know if, if getting frustrated and I'm not saying this specifically against you or any other trainer that I know. Uh, I don't know if, if we, as uh, people involved in the industry and in the community of firearms and the second amendment really pushing it and really encouraging um, black people, our, our folks to, to get involved. I don't know if we should be so concerned about the the permitting process, but more making sure people don't get caught up on stupid weapon charges, uh, and that if um, if a girl's being harassed and maybe she has some training, but she just didn't have the permit, like she could she can carry it, and she doesn't have to wait for the white man's paperwork to, to have permission, <laughs> waiting on permission from the state, so the police don't have a right to hassle her. 
So that that's my opinion. Hopefully the, those thoughts were cohesive, just basically saying, I don't know that having the need for a permit is the biggest priority. I think the priority should be for all the trainers to get out there and start marketing the crap out of their classes and say like, hey. I think that's what it is. They're, that's why they're angry. They think that it was easier and they don't mm-hmm. really want to work that hard. It's not that serious. Like if a person thinks they need training, a person is going to think they need training. They're going to come mm-hmm. to you. And I think people think that because it's constitutional carry now, everyone is just going to um, do it and they're not going to get the training. People are still going to come get training. People, people ain't stupid. They know it's dangerous. Excuse me. They know it's dangerous. They know that firearms can kill people. So you're still going to have the parents who understand that they need to learn how to store this. They need Mm -hmm. to understand how to have this around their children. They need to know how to load it and unload it in a safe manner. They need to know how to get to it and secure it in their home in the proper place so that when something does pop off, they can get to it expeditiously. Like those are the things you need to market. Those are the things you need to um, pivot towards. Being upset that it's constitutional carry now is just a waste of your time and energy. It is what it is and it's happening. You were just in a space where it was easier and you were probably, it was a monopoly. <laughs> you probably were the only one in your area teaching it. So it wasn't a big deal for you to get clients and customers. Now you got to put a little bit more effort into it. And that's okay because people should, you should earn people's business anyway is how I feel. Yeah. If you're a good instructor, people are going to give word of mouth. People are going to come to you. They're going to give you great reviews. And I i don't think that's going to be a problem whatsoever because at the end of the day, people are still going to need training. Yeah, I mean, I've I've talked to instructors. I mean, you're in Atlanta. Um, I I know some people out of uh, Arkansas, Arizona, and different different states. And you know, in Arizona, they can they implemented their their version of concealed carry or um, constitutional Constitution. carry rather. Mm-hmm. And now the the amount of folks who I, I suppose are aware and more comfortable that that roadblock that that infringement has been removed. Now folks are more more willing to go through the process and go get training and actually get the permit because they don't feel like, oh, there's some sort of, uh, I, like, I have to do it, you know? Of now course. more folks are going to be comfortable saying like, oh, you know what? I can go at the, I can go get the firearm. I, can, I don't have to, oh, I have to go get the permit first. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to do that. Oh, I heard you can't do that if you did this. And just the rumors and the misinformation that happens when you have stupid laws or not stupid laws, laws that are unconstitutional, laws that maybe when they were created was created to to implement a certain amount of safety and responsibility. But at the end of the day, it it's a roadblock for those who maybe are less informed or less enthusiastic about firearms. Because it, it's not just people like you and I who are deep in the, the firearms game who are buying guns. It's regular everyday folks. It's moms, it's two exactly. kids. It's uh, uh, a young guy who maybe just got out the military. All he shot was rifles, but now he'd like to carry a handgun. Um, maybe he was just a cook in the military. You know, just simple stuff. Um, just regular folks. The accountant down the street, um, the guy working at uh, McDonald's. You know, the the young girl who is um, she kind of lives in a rough spot. And it'd probably be better for her to have some form of protection. I'm not going to tell her what she can and can't have. Um, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating for me to see people get frustrated and not actually say, I'm going to make changes to make it better for my community. Because you're here for your community. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's what it really rant. boils down to. It, um, mm-hmm. You know, and 
I think that people will want to get training more. I think this is going to be an incentive, honestly, for them, because I know, you know, even when I had my concealed carry years ago, it was just that thought of getting fingerprinted and then going in and filling out this paperwork. It was just a lot Mm -hmm. that you had to do. And it's just like, for what? Like, for what? So now when you, you know, take that that barrier out the way, now it's like, oh my God, I can just sign up for this class or this instructor and go in. And some people come to my classes and they never even, they haven't even taken their firearm out the box yet. So they come and they, they shoot for the first time with me. And I'm like, okay, well, if this is going to be your ex- first experience, this is the best, you know, this is the best one that you can have. I'm going to set you up right. I'm going to get you right. I'm going to show you how to load, unload. I'm going to show you how to break it down. Um, I'm going to show you how to clean it. I'm going to give you suggestions on where you go. I'm going to tell you, this is not your only class that you need to take. There's obviously more that you need to do. And But this is an introduction and I'm glad you took the time out to come and get educated on your firearm. This is, you know, these are the proper steps that you need to go through as instructors. Yeah. Now I, I did want to, I know we've been talking about ladies coming into your class. Do you, do you just do ladies or do you have classes with men as well? Or how do you do that? I do. I have all types of classes. I teach um, right now. The only thing, only people that I don't teach are children. I just, I, I don't do that right now, but I do refer them to instructors who do have classes for children. But yeah, I do one-on-ones. I do personals and um, some of my one-on-ones are guys. And yeah, I do events. Most of my things are events where it's birthdays or anniversaries or something like that. And I teach them firearm basics, but I also have them try different firearms. So it's not just one particular one, like maybe pistol one or pistol two. It's like, okay, we're going to start off with pistols and then we're going to go to AR-15s or something like that. So it's an Mm -hmm. experience that they've never had before. And I tell them like, this isn't a class, this is an event. So now you need to take my classes. And so that's been helpful. Yeah, that that is awesome. And I know um, we talked a little bit about a few things, but I did want to get into uh, just women in the Second Amendment um, field. I, I'm going to call it the the the, the genre, the space, um, and just like the regular everyday folks, but also people like yourself, because um, there's there's a lot of like. Like we talked about earlier, there's a lot of women who just hopped in. Uh, they just bought a firearm last year during the pandemic. You know, so many pandemic buyers. And I'm not not saying anything bad. I'm saying that's a good thing. They, yeah. they saw the need and they went ahead and did what they had to do. That said, can we talk a little bit about um, just women in the 2A space? It, do you feel like it's been inviting for you or do you feel like it's been difficult? Just go ahead and talk about that. That's a great question. My experience is different, I would say. First of all, most of the industries that I've been in have been male dominated. So I feel right at home. <laughs> I feel I feel like there's, you know, no different from the military, no different from anything else that I've been a part of. They've always been and I thrive well in male dominated situations. I'm very assertive. I'm an alpha female. And so I never really have a problem either speaking my mind or telling someone, letting them know when I'm uncomfortable with something or asking questions. A lot of women are uncomfortable even asking questions and I'm not that person. So because I know that about myself, if I'm in a room with women, I make sure I speak up for them who don't have a voice. And so 
I've heard of racism in this industry. I've heard of sexism. I've, I personally haven't experienced that. I don't think, you know, I'm sure it might be coming, but I, I haven't experienced it. I have experienced mm-hmm. bad customer service. I will say that we are not yeah. doing very well when it comes to customer service at some of these ranges. But for the most part, I, um, I see a need and I see that black women light up. They really enjoy seeing me teach them this information. I can Mm -hmm. relate to them. I can break it down in ways that they can comprehend better. I can give them examples and I can be more empathetic to situations that they are coming in. So some women might have been sexually assaulted, military sexual trauma. Some women have been, you know, um, in domestic violence situations. Some women, you never know what their story is before they get to you. So I'm always empathetic about situations like that when I am teaching and when I am involved in any type of situation where I'm doing a one-on-one. So if I'm in a group setting and I'm teaching a group class and I see one of the women aren't responding well, or I'm not I'm, I'm not seeing them comprehend Then I mm-hmm. offer them one-on-ones because maybe they don't do well in group situations and group mm-hmm. environments, you know, um, being prior military, I understand veterans very well. So I can pick a veteran out in a crowd very well. And I'm like, okay, are you comfortable? Are you doing okay? Let me know if you need extra help understanding different teaching styles. I'm an audio learner, but some people might be visual, you know, some people might be hands-on type stuff. So understanding all of those things helps me really thrive in this environment. And it helps me really get my clientele and work with them better. And women, I think are the type in this industry. I found they want to know why you're teaching them this particular thing. Like, why does this you know, why are you saying doing it like this? So when you explain to them and they're able to understand, then it sticks with them more. Guys, some guys, you know, you can just show them something and it just is what it is. But you show a woman, say, you know, you do this grip like this so you can have more support. Just that little bit of extra explaining will help them, you know, comprehend and it'll stick with them more. So I, that's what I think women cater or thrive better in those type of situations. And that's why they come to me. Yeah, Um that's that's awesome. Thank you for you know doing that for your community. I know I said thank you all, all sorts of times. I just want you to know that there's people out there who see what you're doing and they're thankful. So I appreciate be encouraged it. I do. and keep doing it. Thank um, you. I did have one question, and hopefully you know this comes off correctly. Um, a lot of folks are kind of in a place where they're tired of seeing everything be it about color, 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 color. Why it got to be a black thing? Why it got to be a white thing? Why are you calling me out for this? Why You, you know, just cut. It, it gets frustrating for a lot of folks and it, it does get exhausting to always hear about it all the time. Um, just even for my own self. That said, you are a black female firearm instructor. There's uh, two things that people get tired of hearing about. And then one thing that people are often completely ignorant towards is firearms. Um, why is it important for you to promote yourself as a black farms instructor? Obviously, we just talked about you being female, um, mm-hmm. and that's important. We, we, we see that. What does your a complexion or hue have anything to do with your ability to teach firearms or to be accepted in the industry or to be accepted by students or whatever it is? Does it play any role at all, or is it just a, a marketing thing? Yeah. 
No, that's a great question. I think race plays a, a role in everything. So mm-hmm. to say that it doesn't is just to be naive, ignorant, or just misinformed. Whatever the word you want to put in that blank, put it in there. But we don't have conversations about race enough for me. And when I say that, meaning the United States is built off of racism. And so if we had an open, honest conversation about it, then we probably wouldn't have racism anymore. We could get to the root of the problem and say, no, this was the foundation and this is everything that's on top of that, which is why there is food deserts. This is why education system sucks. This is why, you know, red zoning. This is why. So race plays a role in every single thing. And when it comes to two-way rights and firearms, Um, When you look at the history and how, you know, laws were created so that we could not defend ourselves, so that we could not defend our families, so that we could not protect ourselves when people were openly killing us, literally hunting us down. So I always big up my race. I always talk about how I am, you know, a black firearms instructor, how I'm a black woman firearms instructor, and it's not a marketing gimmick. It just is. And so I say that because if you want to go to a class and you want to, I've, and I've had this, I've had women and people come to me and they're black and they say, well, I went to a firearms instructor and he was white and I was so uncomfortable. And I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't understand what he was saying. And, you know, I didn't feel comfortable with the, the way he his teaching style, whatever the case may be, it's different. And so I think it absolutely plays a role in everything. I don't try to make it the center of everything, but it is a big pink elephant in the room. It is what it is. And so once you understand the history of firearms, more people would be, more black people would be in the firearms industry had Mm. laws not been created, you know, just because we were black. And so because we don't have enough conversations, especially open conversations about it, I think that plays a role in us being fearful of it. That plays a role in generation after generation, not knowing how to use them properly, how to be around them. That's why children are killing themselves. Um, Even in, I think it was North Carolina or Chicago, the children got the gun out. The mom's person killed her with it. And now the whole, it was five children, you know? So now five children don't have their mom anymore. And one of them did it. So what type of emotional, mental damage is that? You know, so I feel like that's, you know, that is- trauma traumatic that is so traumatic and so that is a theme in our community and so yeah i think it's important for us to highlight black specifically black firearms instructors who can relate and respond in a way that is making you put your put your guard down and able to help you understand that this is a tool and when when this tool is used correctly it can save your life it can save your family's life it can save your loved one anyone around you it can really be helpful in a situation or in a time of crisis so i absolutely talk about race if needed and so that's another thing if you know i don't just going around saying i'm black i'm black i'm black but i'm not afraid to say Mm. i'm black i'm black i'm black and i think that's the thing it's powerful. <laughs> man, that's like a movie right there, man. We, yeah. we got to put that, we got to put this on YouTube <laughs> or something. Um, one thing I, I did want to talk about um, is clearly uh, you're a woman in the industry. You're black. Uh, you're proud of that. You're proud to, to kind of be in this space and to be, to be leading the way in a way that not a lot of people get to do, if we're being honest. 
either because of a lack of education or just lack of understanding or the, just cra- how crazy and taboo it is. And I do want to talk about that before we, we kind of get done with this because the word taboo doesn't even begin to explain it. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. nuts. Oh, man. But you actually had a, a situation recently where folks uh, didn't believe that you were in it for for us, the people, the Black folks, um, you spoke on the Makai Bryant situation. I consider that a tragedy, um, so I'll call it that, the, the Makai Bryant tragedy, um, where the young lady in Ohio was killed as she was wielding a knife um, in a, kind of a, an awful brawl situation. And in a self-defense situation. She was in a self-defense situation. Absolutely. And she was shot um, by a police officer who was called to the scene. And you spoke on that and you actually took a lot of heat for what you said. And when I say heat, just kind of really disparaging, disrespectful, um, completely uneducated remarks were made. And I, I'm still mad about it. I heard about this like two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and I did want to give you a chance to to speak on that just a little bit, if if possible, just kind of what you said and what the response was and your response to that response, if you would. Absolutely. So um, Micaiah Bryant was 16. And so, and I, I led the speech or the talk that I had was, I don't even watch these, right? I don't watch police lynchings. I don't watch those because I feel like it's trauma. They, they said it was trauma porn and it really is. It's just something embedded in your psyche that plays over and over again. So I don't even watch these. But when it happened, I wanted to find out what the situation was. And I did research. It wasn't like I went in this uneducated and I do like I do with legislation. I was like, I went and I searched and searched and searched. And I actually found the press conference that the Ohio State Police did concerning the case. And at the press conference, they released the 911 calls and they released the body cam footage from all three officers on the scene. And so as I watched everything, I gave a play by play by play of what happened and what I saw as a firearms instructor, as prior military, as an adult, as, you know, someone who pays attention to these things. I gave my perspective. So I went into a clubhouse chat room and they were talking about it. And the question was, is it legal to kill a child in America? That was the question. And so that's what I thought we were answering. And so once I told them, you know, my perspective with these credentials, I gave point by point by point. And the three things that they were really harping on was, why didn't he do a warning shot? Why didn't he shoot her in the leg? And why didn't he tase her? And I said, you know, a warning shot is illegal anywhere in the 50 states, anywhere. You can't do a warning shot. And I said, if you are ever in a self-defense situation, please don't say you gave a warning shot because they're going to prosecute you. I said, you can't use a taser because that's a non-lethal threat versus a lethal threat. And she did have a knife in her hand, which was a lethal threat. And I said, you don't shoot in the arm when the lethal threat is in the hand. That's just, I mean, those are the things that we're taught as firearms, as military. We're not taught to graze a person. We're taught to eliminate the threat. That's what we're taught. And so when he got out the car, nine seconds passed before she was dead. And that's a short amount of time. And it's so much had transpired within those nine seconds. And I broke it down. Well, at the end of breaking it all down, 
they kicked me off the stage and they called me a coon. And I was actually really, really devastated about that because I had never been called a coon before ever in my life. And I said, there's a couple things that you can call me that I would even accept. But coon is not one of them because I'm for the people. I'm about the people. You won't even get me to talk to the cops about anything. So I'm never on their side. It wasn't one of those things. It was my perspective being a professional and showing, you know, how can we prevent this from happening again? Mm -hmm. So my whole speech was to say, okay, this is how you call 911. Because the 911 calls were incoherent. Everyone was yelling. It was just not something that was conducive to the situation. And it didn't help at all. And so I'm like, okay, so if this happens again, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And it was devastating to not only be disrespected like that, but to understand that we can't have a conversation. That's what really bothered me the most. It's like it was a conversation that I thought was open. I thought we were having dialogue. I thought we were trying to grow. I thought we were trying to build. I thought we were trying to really get to the bottom of this so that we can prevent this tragedy from happening again. But to shut me down and not have any type of rebuttal, to, to call me names and kick me off, I thought that was just so disrespectful. So I felt like that's where we are in the community. And I think that that's something that we absolutely need to work on more than anything is communication. We don't know how to communicate with each other. And these are the breakdowns of our society right now. We have 16-year-olds getting killed and getting jumped by adults and getting killed by the police. And this is where it's coming from. It stems from lack of education. And so that was the premise of the talk. And it was really devastating to me, honestly. I, I, I was upset the entire day because it was a bigger picture. It was like, we can't even have a conversation and that mm-hmm. is detrimental. Yeah, and I, I imagine that there's going to be people on who listen to this, come see this, and Honestly, not, you know, ignoring them for just a second, what I felt like happened to you in that situation was basically another brown paper bag test, just virtually, mm. where they, they held it up and said, well, yeah, you're black, and yeah, you're, you're explaining things, you're bringing information, but you didn't say exactly what we wanted you to say, so you weren't really black, you weren't for us, you're just another one of them. He ain't really with us. She ain't really with us. And it's like, dang. Well, what do you? What do you? What does Tangie have to do? What does Tangie <laughs> have to do? Do you have to prove yourself? Because no, if they if they even knew you, right? They would and, know. and I and I, so what I what I gathered from that, I was like, I wonder have I ever jumped to conclusions like that about someone? I'm very open and open minded, and I'm the type mm. of person if your thought sounds or is articulated better than my thought. And I didn't even have this thought before we met. Then I'm immediately changing my thought process because yours Mm -hmm. makes more sense. And you are clearly more educated on this matter than I am. So that's how I am. So I just felt like to judge me off of that and to to have that impression of me when it was 100% false, it was just just ridiculous. And I don't have to prove myself to anyone, but I did want to clarify some things. So I took it to my platform where I had more control and I just explained the situation on my platform. Yeah, that that was good of you to do because, you know, it just kind of reminds us that even though there are, there, are, there are those of us who are working hard, like putting hours in, even for myself, putting hours in um, to make sure that we can bring awareness to firearms in the community, have tough conversations about things like firearms, things like the just the realities of being black. Whether, whether you grew up nice or you grew up not so nice, like you're black when you wake up and you're black when you fall asleep, when you're born and when you die, you're black. So we got to deal with that. 
We're in America. Some folks would call it a racist country. Some folks would say we have work to do. Um, whatever you want to call it, we're black in America. We got guns. Like for me, I, I hardly go anywhere without what I got to have on me. And so I need to know how to handle myself anytime I deal with the police. Man, you'll see me be friendlier than, than you ever seen me be before. Why? Because I want to make sure I make it out of there okay, and I want that officer to have better um, feelings. If he had any poor feelings about black folks, I want those feelings to be better than they, they, when they ever were before. I want them to be like, wow, you know what? That was a great interaction. That was a black guy. Okay. I'm, I'm representing my people every time I step out the door. And it's unfortunate that I have to do that or that maybe I feel any sort of uh, pressure to do mm-hmm. that, but mm-hmm. I get to do it. it I'm, I'm proud to do it. So that said, I'm, I'm frustrated that there are so many people who would um, kind of have, have a, this big groupthink mentality and be like, oh, we're just going to bully, bully this lady that we don't even know who claims to be a professional. And you are a professional who <laughs> off the stage. And I'm like, not Tangy. Tanji, the most pro-black girl I know. Top five. Top five. Tanji don't even like the police. That's what I'm saying. So for them to call me, I was like, y'all don't know me at all. Oh my God. Oh I don't even know you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just like, dang. And I, I've seen it a little bit, even in my comment section, where if I say anything that doesn't... um. How do I say this? If I if I say something that people don't necessarily agree with, they get they get hyped up. Of course. And sometimes they'll bring facts like an article to rebuttal a point that I've made. And I love that. I love having a costly conversation where we can really get into the details and talk about facts and bring statistics with context. Cause that's that's what that's what the truth is, is just what actually happened versus how I perceived it sometimes. Sometimes you perceive racism when it's not, that the person's just a jerk. Yeah. And sometimes people are oblivious to when they're actually being treated poorly when a person is unaccustomed to or is only accustomed to certain folks from certain demographics and neighborhoods. And now they have a hard time dealing with people that look like you and me. But my skin, my skin is not who I am. I am me. So I know I've said a lot. Thank you for putting up with that. No <laughs> let's worries. Talk, let's let's talk a little bit before we before we get out of here. I do want to talk a little bit about how it's um taboo's not even the word anymore. It's like forbidden for a young black anybody to have a firearm, to rock a Glock, to have a SIG, to Taurus, High Point, whatever you got. You're seen as a banger, generally. You're seen as a drug dealer, seen as somebody who who doesn't value their life. Uh, a lot of uh, instructors that I've had on this um, platform have said, yeah, the first time I ran into a firearm, I was eight, I was nine, I was 13. It was a drug dealer. It was uh, somebody doing something they weren't supposed to do. And they showed me it was a 380, it was a nine. And they remember details like that. And it, it's a it's a it's a wonder that they were able to say like, "Hey, as a responsible member of my society, I'm gonna arm myself." Even though when I was exposed to these things, it was so uh, in, in a in a bad situation, more or less. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I again, I wasn't raised around firearms at all, so no one in my family um, was 
shooting. And then when I look at, so even myself now on my channel or my social media channels, I follow little white children who are like six and eight and they are shooting in competitions and stuff. Or when Mm -hmm. I go to the range, they're 10 in competitions and it's just an eye opener to me how they are exposed to firearms compared to how we're exposed to firearms. And so it is taboo. And a lot of it has to do, we don't own our own media. So those stereotypes are perpetuated in the media, I believe for a reason so that we can be portrayed in a certain way so that, you know, once we are killed, it's justified. It feels justified. Mm. It seems society, society feels like, okay, that's okay. You know, that, and so I feel like that is one of the reasons it's so taboo, but honestly, you know, you see the surge in gun ownership and it's black people, it's black women, it is um, responsible gun owners. And so there is a taboo, there is a stereotype, especially in the movies, in the music. Even right now, the number one song is like, not even a number one song, but like some of the songs you listen to, um, Soldier Boy, first thing he says is Draco. Like, I hate Dracos. I honestly do. As a professional, those aren't even like good firearms. So, but I mean, but those are the things that are perpetuated in our community and in our society. Um, and I think that has a big hand in how it's negatively portrayed. But I think people like me and you are changing those stereotypes. And that's all we can really do. We can really be the example that we want to see. And then yeah, each one's each one. That's what I believe. Shoot, that's that's what I that's what I want to see, and that's why I'm I'm like pushing so hard to promote folks like you to make sure that we have some new shooters, but also like professionals and people who came from just regular, you know, upbringings. Which that's most black people in firearms. I feel like is literally we, we came from not shooting to shooting. Yeah, like how many of us were shooting from the age of six? Maybe if you lived in the deep south, Mississippi, and you went gator hunting with your papa, but that's. That's the exception and not the rule. Exactly. Um, this cat, I actually, I saw him featured in a Washington Post article, his art. Um, he was going around um, Texas taking photos of black families uh, responsibly, legally. I don't, I don't like to say legally armed just because I some saw that are, today. Someone sent yeah. it to me, actually. Yeah. Uh, his, his Instagram handle is uh, Chris Lee underscore, uh, sorry, underscore JPEG, J-P-E-G. Okay. Um, so anybody on here, pause the video, go follow him, come back, and um, go check out that brother. He's doing something good for for the people. Uh, actually, I spoke to him on the phone. Um, somehow I got his number. Nice. Uh, I, I, I love I'm it. I'm like, what? What? I I'm love talking it. to the guy? Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was great because you could just hear his heart. Um, and hear what he's hear what he's doing, see what he's doing. He's a military guy, um, and I guess when he's not serving the country, he's serving his people, and it's it's a beautiful thing because he's from Chicago, and I don't want to tell his whole story because I'm I'm hoping I can get him on here, hoping, mm-hmm. but he's he's a busy guy, so who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but he's from Chicago, and when he moved to Texas, um, it became apparent, like, hey, you know what? Like, there's people here who who they're showing the image that we all want to see. You know, responsible, uh, um, just loving, kind, good people, honest people, responsibly armed. You know, passing the the craft down to their children because it's an art, it's a skill. It like, is. You, you're not born knowing how to shoot. There's really nothing natural about um, that 
that fast burn of igniting all that gunpowder and, and flying out of the gun with enough force to rack the slide back and then chamber another round. Like that's not normal Mm-mm. at all. Mm-mm. So the fact that we can teach children how to do that and it's on us because it wasn't taught to us, at least not most of us. The fact that we can teach our children how to, how to, how to be involved in the most effective form of self-defense that exists you know, obviously, please go learn some uh, hand-to-hand, empty, empty hand stuff, some combat. You know, I know you're selling some pens. Are you still selling the pens? I am. I sell tactical pens. Um, and that's been really great for people who don't like to carry firearms. And the pens break glass. They have a knife in them. And it also has a flashlight. So it's just really great overall tool to have in your toolkit, but especially if you want to carry it in your purse or in your car so that God forbid you're in a car accident, fire, you're going into a lake, you, you know, filling up with water, you need to get out quickly, that can help you. Or mm-hmm. if you're in a situation where you need to grab something quickly out your purse to defend yourself, you know, you can actually puncture them and, you know, stab them or you can collect their DNA. So if something happens, you need to go to the police. And so they, these are all tools. And I just actually started taking judo lessons. So I want to be all the way around trained when it comes to, you know, everything. It's not just firearms for me. Yeah. And that's, that's something that we, we forget about. And, uh, a lot of black folks feel like they have the market on hand skills, but if we were to really put them up against folks who can fight, not, not all of them are going to make it. So I I think (laughs) it's, I think it's, uh, imperative that we, we go from street fighting to actually the arts that have been perfected over time. Uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Krav Maga is another one. I know you said judo. That's actually super important. Um, And I feel like it's it's important because it's like, okay, how can I use my body weight to overcome or your body weight to overcome overcome you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, if I'm I'm remembering judo correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, so thank you for, you know, just kind of letting ladies know like, hey, you can take a real self-defense class. You don't just have to carry a little revolver because the guy at the gun store told you to. Oh, man. And I don't, don't, even, let I don't them even want do to crack that. To that. You, ladies. Do not Let's let talk about that real quick before I let you go. <laughs> ladies going into the gun store, um, buying that first gun. They don't know nothing about it. Talk about it. But it's not even just ladies. I just had a one-on-one with a guy and... You're right. And he... The, the guy suggested a Beretta to him and he can't even rack it. He can't even rack the slide. He can barely lift it. He's not a big dude. He's not strong. He's not, you know, and over time he'll get it. But that w- I would not have picked that as his first gun. And uh-huh. so don't let people talk you into anything. Don't let them talk you into no pink gun. Don't let them talk you into a revolver because they think it's easier for you. My suggestion for all my clients is I take them to the range and we fire different firearms and we try um, you know, different makes and models to see which one works well for their hand Mm because I have small hands. Some of them have big hands. Which one works for their, um, with recoil? Some of them don't respond well to recoil. Some do. So it's just all about preference and everybody is an individual. Everyone is different. So don't let someone say that this is the gun you need to have. That's a lie. And they are just trying to sell you something. That's not, you know, that is not the way you purchase your firearm. Now there are some that, you know, I'm a Glock person. I definitely like Glocks because they have three safeties. They have a trigger safety, a drop safety and a firing pin safety. So as safe as you can get, I'm all for that. Mm-hmm. There are some guns that actually actually have a manual safety, but do you practice 
switching your manual safety on and off when you're drawing. Like it's all about how you practice and how you do dry firing. But at the end of the day, don't let someone make a suggestion that this is the gun you absolutely need to have. It's not. It, don't let them do that to you. All right. All right. Tangie, how can people find you? I am on tact. I'm tactical tangerine everywhere. I am a tactical tangerine defense, I should say, especially on Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. I actually have my only fans as well. That's tactical tangerine defense. And the only reason I did that is because there's so many terms and conditions on social media. I build Glock slides. I Mm -hmm. show you how to break down and build, you know, different guns. I show you how to clean them. And you can't necessarily do that on social media platforms. And OnlyFans has the least amount of restrictions. So that's why I'm there as well. So you can find me there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had no idea that they were gun friendly. I mean, they are gun friendly. And, and even Patreon, they have restrictions. I couldn't do stuff. So, yeah, they are. They're gun. They're I hear two-way subscribe friendly. star is more two way friendly, but Patreon is the name. You know. OK. Subscribe so star. I've never heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of the gun guys that I follow on like YouTube and whatnot, they're like, hey, you subscribe star because, you know, it's better so i don't know i i don't know them this is not an endorsement but i'm saying of course do a little bit of research and all with everything that i say don't just take my word as gospel do a little bit of research vet your trainers vet tangy even though i think she's i think she's done a lot to sell herself vet tangy absolutely absolutely and you know if we said anything that was off or wrong don't just get crazy in the comment section or, you know, help me out because that always helps me if you comment. Um, maybe bring some facts and some stuff and I'll respond and maybe you could teach me something. Learn me a lesson. I'm cool. Um, if you've made it this far in the video, please make sure that you've dropped a like and that you are subscribed because obviously you like what you heard or you think that maybe we could be doing something kind of good. So please go ahead, subscribe, share with a friend. Um, we're really just trying to get the word out there that it's okay in fact, it's a good thing for Black folks to be armed responsibly, to be armed um, and just be able to take care of themselves, their families, fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, being able to do what they have to do to stay safe out here in these streets in a world that's not always been too friendly to, to Black folks and the idea of us being armed and exercising our God-given rights to do self-defense. It's not even just the Second Amendment. It's all right. So thank you, Tangi. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Yes, I appreciate you. Yes, it's been like eight times we've been trying to we reschedule, and it's always been my fault. So thank you for your patience. Thank you for (laughs) thank you for that as well. And it's been a great, great conversation. Please, you guys, make sure you guys subscribe to his channel. Make sure you like, comment. Make sure you share this out so you can you know get this in the hands of other people who might need to know it as well. So thank you, Atlas, for having me on. Thank you.